I grew up in a Christian household. And so when I moved to the States, I think I was okay. Somewhere along the line of being a pastor's grandkid and having my parents so well known, like in Tanzania with the Baptist Convention, I felt this unnecessary standard to be perfect. So then I learned how to internalize somewhere along that line. Um, there was some hard stuff when I was younger and I just, I never shared any of that with my parents. I kept a lot of things hidden from them. For a while, the whole internalizing thing felt like it worked, when in reality it wasn't. In January of 2020, I started having panic attacks. I think I had an idea of why they were happening, but I just never really wanted to acknowledge the fact that it was happening. By March of 2020, I was done. Like I just, I felt no need to be alive or to keep pushing for everything inside of me was tiring. I was done with it all. And I felt this unnecessary pressure to like not share any of it with anybody because it felt like it was supposed to be my burden. I was just, I was ready to end my life. I, I, I didn't see a point in any of it. And started therapy. In the middle of internalizing everything and trying to take care of everything on my own, I was also keeping God out. Like, I knew who Jesus was because I went to church every Sunday and I got saved when I was nine years old. But the whole personal aspect, like having a personal relationship with God, I don't think that ever clicked with me. It felt like God was there for everyone else. I, I, I don't think I ever doubted God's existence or like his actual presence, but it just felt like God was there and he cared, but it was for everybody else but me. Satan knows what he's doing, so I think that was like a perfect opportunity for him to keep drilling these ideas of, it was for everyone else, just not so much me. Um, somewhere in 2020, after a few months of therapy and just trying to open up, I think it finally clicked that I didn't necessarily have to be a burden, that there was actually people in my life that God placed to care for me and love on me. And that honestly, not that I deserved any of it, but God wanted to carry all of my burdens. He cares about me enough and he loves me enough to where he wants to do it. I think the fact that God allowed me to get to a point where I needed to see him taking care of everything was more grace than I deserved. And the whole process of me trying to fix everything for myself and for the people around me, I spent a lot of time consumed in the me part of it because I was doubting God's plan. So I thought then I had to take matters into my own hands. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. I'm so glad you've chosen to be here. 
in our first service and in this service, I've had an opportunity just to walk around and, and see some of you, my family, and I'm just mindful of those words in Hebrews where the writer tells us, forsake not the assembling of yourself together, because when you come together, it's for the stirring up of good works in your life. It does something for us when we come together as the family of God, the, the body of Christ. We're also called the bride of Christ. So I'm so glad that you're here today, and for those of you joining us online, I'm so glad that you're a part of this as well. I read early this morning from Psalms 92.1. It says, it is good to praise the Lord. And it really is. Would you just give God praise today? It's a good thing to be here and praise the Lord. Well, before I jump into today's message, let me say a word about this incredible background that you see behind me. As you can tell, it's Vacation Bible School Week at Mission Hill Church on our central campus. And as part of our creative design, you see that our team has done a tremendous job throughout our campus to splash the colors of the rainbow everywhere. Now, I need to say something. Unfortunately, in our society today, the colors of the rainbow have taken on a different meaning for some. And that doesn't change what we believe the Bible has taught us. The Bible teaches that in Genesis, uh, there is a specific meaning to the rainbow and the colors it represents. That relates to what we're going to learn in Romans today, but let me just remind you of what happened. Think about this for a second. God looked at the world, and what did he see? He saw that the world was guilty. We were guilty as sinners, even early in the story. <laughs> and so, he judged the world. And he made a way that those could be saved by entering into the ark. So Noah and his family were saved as they entered into the ark. Everyone else was judged. But at the end of that time, what did God do? Well, let me just tell you from Genesis 9. It says, God says, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all the living creatures for all generations to come. I've placed my rainbow in the clouds. It's a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. And when I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds. And I will remember my covenant with you and with all the living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I'll remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, Yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I'm confirming with all the creatures of the earth. When we see this rainbow, when we see the colors of the rainbow, this is what it should remind us of. God loves us so much that he takes care of everything we need through Jesus, even when we don't deserve it. I'm so glad this week we get to instill these truths into our children as we gather for Vacation Bible School. I'm so thankful for Miss Cielo and Miss Renee and all of our team of volunteers that have worked so hard to not only do these decorations, but prepare for our children. So if you have a child or a grandchild or a great-grandchild or you know a child or there's a child in your neighborhood or you've seen a child and you think it's appropriate for you to invite and bring them, bring them because it's going to be a great week. I want us to pause right now. Now, and as we pray for our time together, I want us to pray for our students as they gather together for Vacation Bible School. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you. I can remember back as a child. It was a little different like back then. Not all these uh, 
fancy decorations and maybe a little more formal, but I remember just looking forward to vacation Bible school and all that we would do and all that we would learn. So God, I pray that you would just send masses of children to this place over the next several days and that they'll hear the truth of the gospel, that though we are guilty, we're sinners, you love us so much that you give us more than enough grace You give us everything we need. God, I I pray that you'd provide safety and protection during the week. And and I pray for our teachers, our volunteers, all that will be working together, that this will be a time that builds your kingdom. And that's the same thing we pray for today. Lord, that you'd meet us in this moment. On Pentecost Sunday, that you would allow your spirit just to flow fresh on us, that you'll give us what we need that we don't have, teaching us those things we need to learn but we, we don't yet know, making us new creations in your image. God, that's my prayer for me. God, just thank you for this passage of Scripture and the truth and how it's transformed my life. I pray that over these next few minutes, the words I say and even my thoughts would be pleasing to you because you've been my redeemer. You've changed me. And that's my simple prayer for all who will hear these words. Lord, would you change someone today? From death to life, from darkness to light. And would you do that for your glory? And God, I thank you for this. And we ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We've been in this series in the book of Romans. It's, it's the first of several ser- series. It'll take us a number of months, but this is the last week in this first series. It's called The Verdict. Um, last week, we learned the verdict. Do you remember what it was? Guilty. We're all guilty. Everyone who's ever lived is guilty. But There's good news. God loves us so much that he takes care of everything you need through Jesus, even when you don't deserve it. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at that statement, and I want us to personalize it. So it'll sound like this. God loves me so much that he takes care of everything I need through Jesus, even when I don't deserve it. You got it? Now, When I ask a question, you get the permission to answer. So if I say, got it, if you got it, you say, thank you. So you got it? it. All right, let's say it together. You're personalizing it. You're saying, I and me. Ready? God loves me so much that he takes care of everything I need through Jesus, even when I don't deserve it. Now, here's what I've learned. We get tired of hearing that we're sinners, In fact, Miss Betty Owens, I love her. I've traveled around the world with her. Uh, She's one of the ladies. uh, She was in our last service, and she came into our office this week, and I said, how you doing, Miss Betty? And she said, not good. I mean, and she's a a senior saint in our church, and so I said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. What's wrong? And she said, my toes are hurting. And I looked down at her feet, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm so sorry. What happened? And then she looked at me, and then I realized what she was saying. She said, I've been here the last three weeks, and all we're talking about is how bad we are. I mean, sin, and nobody wants to hear that they're a sinner. We get our toes stepped on. We prefer to think of ourselves as inherently good. And so that's what society does, right? And people will tell you, you know, you're good at your heart. Everybody's good. 
And that's why the Apostle Paul spent three chapters, the first three chapters of this deeply theological book that's all about salvation. He spends three chapters telling us that everybody, no matter who you are, no matter what your culture, no matter what your background, you're guilty. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's why this week, again, I'm, I'm preaching from the floor. And if you have to strain to see me or if it's a little different, I, I want you to think about that because I, I want you to recognize that according to God's Word, we're guilty. In fact, Paul says everyone is a sinner. That means we've fallen short of what God desires and even what He demands. And we need a Savior. But if the Bible stopped there, it would be bad news. And this is not a bad news book. This is a book of the greatest news you could ever hear. It's a good news book. The bad news is we're all sinners. But the good news is that Jesus saves sinners like us. The message of the Bible, the truth of Christianity, is that we're sinners in need of a Savior, and God gives us a Savior in the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is everything we need. So Paul begins to tell us that part of the story in verse 21. Did you know I believe there's two words that can change your life? They can change how you view every situation Every circumstance that you ever face. You ready? These are two of my favorite words in all the Bible. Here they are. But God. Say that with me. Say, but God. You know, we, we walk through difficulties and trials and tragedies and challenges, but God giveth more grace. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Man, we blow it, we sin, we do things we wish we'd have never done, but God shows up and He gives us forgiveness. And all throughout Scripture, you see those two words, but God. And so when Paul gets to verse 21, he kind of gives us a version of a but God. Look at it together. But now. Now remember, he just spent three chapters saying, you're sinners, you Gentiles, you're sinners. And you don't think you even know about God, but he made it clear in creation, you're a sinner. You Jews, by the way, you think you're goody two-shoes, but you're sinners. You think you're following all the religious practices, but you're religiously lost. You're sinners. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Say all. all. Who is the righteousness of God for? All who believe. For there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here in Romans 3 is a simple phrase, one verse in the Bible on which all of the gospel is built. Level ground at the foot of the cross. Everyone who's ever lived a sinner. Missing out on God's design. And are justified by His grace as a gift. 
through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. (gasps) That was a long sentence. If you're an English teacher or you love grammar, that was a huge run-on sentence full of theology. Words like justification, words like righteousness, words like propitiation, a word like faith. All of these words that describe what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the ones who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? Now, if you'll remember, earlier in this chapter, Paul does this rhetorical thing where he plays both sides of an argument. Like like he asks a question and then he answers it. And so he's going to do that three different times right here. What about our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? And then he answers, no, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Second question. Or or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not God of Gentiles also? Yes, Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Last question. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Do we even need the law? If we're going to be given God's grace and it's a gift... Why does anything matter? Isn't everybody going to go to heaven anyway? No, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Remember what I want you to understand. This is our one thing, our, our central truth. God loves you so much that he takes care of everything you need through Jesus, even when you don't deserve it. So what happens in these verses, and what some have called the most important paragraph in all the Bible, is Paul tells us what Jesus did for us. So let me just give you three things he did, summing it up. Number one, Jesus intervened on our behalf. Have you ever needed somebody to step up and speak for you when you couldn't speak for yourself? You know, somebody to step into the room and to be your also. So like you're, you're about to get into trouble and, uh, you know, your bigger friend comes in and says, is there a problem here? I have a big brother. He's nine years older. We're both getting older. So now, now he's a little older. But, um, man, he's always had my back. I can remember as a child. I can remember as adults, moments where he stepped in and just been there for me. But you know what? Next month, Kimberly and I will celebrate 29 years of marriage. Isn't that awesome? That's pretty cool. You know who has my back more than anybody else on the planet? It's a person who knows me better than anybody else on the planet. She knows how I failed. She knows when I blow it. And yet you don't start talking about me around her or she's going to beat you up. I mean, she'll step in. She'll intervene on, on my behalf. And that's what Paul says Jesus does for us. 
Look again at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of our guilty verdict, somebody had to step in. We're going to learn as we continue in Romans, the punishment for our guilt is death. And so if nobody steps in, we have to die. We have to be punished. We need the righteousness of God because we're guilty. And what Paul says is that Jesus gave us the righteousness of God. Not the law not all these things we do that are good things, that are important, like getting in the Word and praying and giving and showing up in church. They're great things, but that's not going to give us righteousness. The only thing that's going to get us righteousness is Jesus Christ. Because we've all been declared guilty as a result of our sin. Next week, uh, I'm going to take a quick trip to California and I can't wait. One of the things Kimberly and I are going to do is, is go to San Diego. And so I, I want you to imagine that um, someone said, I'll give a $100 million prize if you could swim from San Diego to the island of Hawaii. Do you think anybody would want to try it? I, I think they would. I, I think $100 million, that's a lot of money. So people would line up, and then they'd choose the top 100 swimmers, and then... On the appointed day, they'd step into the ocean, and they would just begin to swim. And you got the best swimmers in the world, and it would be great until you see the first one drop out at about 20 miles. These are the best in the world. They, they can make it 20 miles. But one gets tired, drops out, cramps. These are the best of the best. A lot of them make it to about 75 miles before they succumb to the pressure, just the, the dehydration, everything involved, leading to exhaustion. At 100 miles, others give up, jellyfish stings, all the fish around them, it's too much. There's a few swimmers that make it to 150 miles. That's a big deal, because right now, the longest distance that anyone has swam is just under 140 miles. 150 miles, that would be incredible. But they most quit. There was one, a final swimmer. Let's say he makes it 300 miles, more than double what anyone has ever swam. What a great accomplishment. But then he stops, and he's fallen short. Because after 300 miles, you know how far it is to Hawaii? 2,232 more miles. The best swimmer accomplishing an amazing feat always falls short. Listen again to Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean, the glory of God? Who He is, His standard, His expectation, no matter who you are, how good you are, how religious you are, we all fall short. We all need somebody else to step in.
to be there on our behalf. And that's what Jesus does. And that's the second thing I want you to see. This sentence continues. Jesus justifies us and declares us righteousness. So what did Jesus do? He intervened on our behalf, and then he justified us and declares us righteousness. And the Bible says he does that by his grace, which means it's a gift. It doesn't cost us anything. It's freely, Paul says in one of these things, given to us. But what does that mean, justified? That's one of those words we... You might use it in a court setting. We don't use it a lot in our everyday English, do we? One of the best things I've learned, I heard as a child, that you can take that word justified and understand that it means that God makes it just as if I never sinned. He not only forgives us, he takes it away. Now, in the legal setting, um, let me just see if, if some of you know this. If that's done to your record, say you had a crime, you had broken the law, and it went on your record, but there's something they can do to take it away. What's that called? Expunge. Okay. Say it again. Expunge. So now I know those of you that have had to have that happen. So uh, just kidding, just kidding. But so expunge, that means that uh, you had this on your record, but for whatever reason it was taken off. And so no one can hold it against you. And that's what Paul is saying that Jesus does for us. He takes our sin, our guilt. But then he says, no, acquitted, not guilty. I don't ever want to hear it anymore. Wayne Gruden, a theologian, says this justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which, number one, he thinks of our sin as forgiven And Christ's righteousness is belonging to us. And number two, he declares us to be righteous in his sight. So I want you to understand this. This justification that Jesus is making possible for us, it's not a process. It's a pronouncement. And that's important because some of you are looking at your faith journey simply as a process. Is it a growth process? Yes. But your salvation is not a process. Your salvation takes place in an instant. When? When you recognize that you're a sinner. When you realize you need a Savior. When you look to what Jesus has done and you trust Him to justify you. And you trust that His righteousness is enough for you. And we're going to spend a little more time on this third one, but let me review. What did Jesus do for us? First of all, Jesus intervened on our behalf. Secondly, Jesus justified us and declared us righteousness. But thirdly, Jesus redeems us through his death. Let me read beginning of verse 24 again. And justified by his grace as a gift, the greatest gift you can ever receive is to be made just as if you've never sinned. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. If you're following along in your Bible, and you should be, because you always need your Bible, whether it's electronic or or whether it's a hard copy, just to make sure I'm not making this stuff up. If you're following along in the Bible, I would highlight it or underline it or circle it, that word propitiation. We don't use that a lot. We need to understand what it means. By his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the ones who has faith in Jesus Christ. Let's talk about some of those words. First of all, he says this is about 
redemption. You've been redeemed. What does that word mean? Redeemed means that you've given something to credit and make a payment for that which is needed to be paid for. So what have we already learned? We were declared guilty. That means we've got a sin debt. We're bankrupt. On our own, remember the ground's level, all of us, I'm not just talking about you, I'm talking about all of us, all of us are bankrupted by sin, and that's created a debt, and if that's left undone, we will have to pay the penalty for that debt. So what is redemption? Redemption is when Christ credits our spiritual account, not with our righteousness, because our righteousness will never be enough. He credits it with His righteousness. That's why we say Jesus paid for our sin. I think I can help you understand this. My parents have always been so generous to me. It's not because they made a lot of money. It's because they were smart with what they made. So, for example, um, mom, don't hold me this against me, but just a couple of days ago, mom called me, and I thought it was urgent. I mean, I, 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 need, to, I need to go to Publix. All right, what do we got to do? I said, what do you need? I, I can go get it. No, 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 I need to go. Why, why, do you, why do you need to go to Publix? She said, I've got some coupons I need to use. And I understood what she meant, because when I was growing up, I mean, we had to go to the store and use those coupons before they expired, whether or not I needed it. We've got to use those coupons. But sometimes that came handy for me. Because sometimes we would go to the Piggly Wiggly, and we would get whatever groceries uh, that we needed, and, and she would pay for the groceries, and they would give her the receipt, and then they would hand her these greenback stamps. Raise your hand if you know what a greenback stamp is. Some of you, for the rest of you, let me explain it. These greenback stamps you would then take home, and part of one of my jobs that my mom would give to me is I would put those little greenback stamps in a greenback stamps booklet. We would collect all the booklets, and then maybe later in the year, we would go to the greenback stamp store, and I might get to choose something. I can remember one Christmas. This was really meaningful to me. We went to the Greenback Stamp Store. It was in the town next to us in Florence, South Carolina. And, and my mom, we had these big old stacks, I mean, a bag full of these Greenback Stamps books. And mom said, you can pick out anything. And I got me a Daisy BB gun. <laughs> you know how she paid for that? Listen, she redeemed those Greenback Stamps. When you hear the word redeemed or when we sing about that in church, I want you to understand it means that someone else, and in this case it's God, it's Jesus, someone else paid for what you needed and what you wanted, even if you didn't know you wanted it, they redeemed it. Well, how did he redeem it? He redeemed it through his death. At the core of Christianity is the death of Christ. That's why every Easter when we talk about the death and the resurrection of Christ, we remind you, if Christ really didn't die and if he wasn't really raised from the dead, then all of this is just a bunch of gunk. It doesn't make sense because everything we believe is based on that reality. And that's what makes our justification different from how some of you grew up. Listen, for example... In the Roman Catholic Church, it's taught that you are justified not just through the death of Christ. You're justified through the seven sacraments. So you're justified 
by the Holy Eucharist? Are you justified by confirmation? Are you justified by last rites? I mean, you get, that's what is taught, a process. And so there's another teaching. Well, what if you get to the end and you've not been made just? What happens to you? Somebody shout it out. You go to purgatory. Why? What does that word mean? It's purging you of what's left in you that's not just. That makes sense logically if you're trying to figure out something logically. It's just not biblical. What's biblical is that once and for all, through the death of Christ, He justifies us, redeeming us, paying for our sins. He credits that to our account. Why? Because even on our best day, when we're at the best of the best, we fall short. We never make it. That's why God sent Jesus, because Jesus never fell short. He lived a perfect life, a righteous life. And so God looks at our debt that's created by sin, and He meets that debt need. He credits that with the righteousness of Christ. We owe a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt He did not owe. How did He do that? He did that by becoming our propitiation. Say that word with me. You're like, I don't even know if I can pronounce it. Propitiation. What does that mean? Well, in the English language, that's the best I can tell you, propitiation. We don't have another way. There's not another word to define that. It's the concept that's describing what Jesus did for us. He's taking on the anger that God has towards sin on himself so that you and I don't have to bear that wrath. But it's better to understand if you take that Greek word that we've translated propitiation and you say, well, what is the Hebrew equivalent? Because we know about a Hebrew equivalent to that. The Hebrew equivalent is one we would translate into English, mercy seat. What is the mercy seat? The mercy seat is the covering that went over, you know what? The Ark of the Covenant. And so why is that significant? Once a year, the high priest would select two goats and then he would cast lots. That's kind of our equivalent to flipping a coin. They would do that not because they believed in chance, but because they were trusting God by his providence, by his hand, his sovereignty to God, which one. Uh, that high priest would then choose that goat. He would kill the goat. He would take the shed blood of that sacrifice, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And once a year, he did this. Why? To cover the sins of all the people. The Hebrew word for propitiation is Kippur. Because it speaks to that holiday that's still celebrated by Jewish people called Yom Kippur. And that was a big day. Because on that day, all your sins are covered. So think about that when you, when you hear Paul say that Jesus became our propitiation. He was our sacrifice. His blood forgave our sin. He took our punishment. That really gets special when you begin to read the book of the Revelation. Listen to this in Revelation 5. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign in all the earth. 
From beginning to end, this book reminds us that salvation is free to us, but it cost Jesus everything. And that takes us back to the rainbow. God's covenant with us. See, in that first early biblical story, we're reminded what God was saying. I understand today that there are people that want to just do away with the Old Testament in our scriptures and, and not say what is God trying to teach us there and not what can I learn from there. But, but the reality The reality is, from beginning to end, the message of God was the same. This is what God was saying. I want to cover your sins. I want to take care of that need that you could never meet. You don't deserve it, but by my grace, I'm going to meet your every need. That's what God was saying. That's what God was saying to Abraham when he told Abraham to take his son Isaac and to sacrifice him in the altar. But then when his son Isaac asked for the lamb. Abraham said, what? The Lord will provide the lamb. That's what God was saying through the sacrificial system for the children of Israel. When they had sins in their life, what would God do? God would allow the blood of an animal to be shed. Why? For the covering of their sins. That's what God was saying when he took the children of Israel out of Egypt. How were they spared? By the Passover. What was this Passover? You put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost and the angel of death would see the blood and he would pass over you. That's what God was saying to Moses in the wilderness when he said to the children of Israel, hey, I'm going to hold up this serpent on a pole. You look to the serpent and you'll be healed. And then Jesus would use his word and he would say, just like Moses was lifting up the serpent to the people in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up and you shall be saved. This is what God was saying. Are you even there, church? Do you hear what I'm saying? This is what God was saying to David when he said to David, I want you, a shepherd boy, to go out and to battle Goliath. But don't you worry. I got your back. I'm intervening for you, for the Lord will fight your battle. This is what God was saying through Jonah when Jonah was told to go and preach to these people who were sinful and give them hope. And God told Jonah to tell them, hey, cover yourself with a sackcloth and turn away from your sin. And when you do, I'm going to redeem you and forget that you sinned. Jonah didn't like it. And sometimes we don't like God's forgiveness either. This is what God was saying through Isaiah when he began to talk about a suffering servant that would be pierced for our transgressions. This is what God was saying through Hosea when he began to talk about a faithful husband who would cover the sins of an adulterous wife. This was everything in the Old Testament pointing to this moment that God justifies us by His grace, by paying for our sin and covering our debt with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why John the Baptist would say when he saw Jesus walking down the street, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I want you to understand God loves you so much that He takes care of everything you need through Jesus even when you don't deserve it. So how do we take advantage of this? By following all these rituals, by going to church, by being the best version of ourselves? Nope. We will always fall short doing that. The only way is through faith. And so in these few verses, 
Paul just says over and over again, eight times, he reminds us of that word faith. Hey, there's a lot of good things you can do. All the things we've talked about that are good, they're good for you to do. My friends Billy and Jonathan, they lead out in our Celebrate Recovery. It's one of the, my favorite things that we do in our ministry. And it helps people with hurts and habits and hang-ups, kind of free those lives of addiction. Just like maybe a AA or a 12-step program may help you. If you've got those challenges, are those programs good? Absolutely. But they'll never save you. The only thing that will ever save you is faith in Jesus Christ. What, what I've discovered after about 30 years in ministry is too many of us are we're trusting in tarnished trophies of days gone by spiritually. And we've all got tarnished trophies spiritually. Kind of like I, I do literally. I found some of my trophies. Um, this is when I was awarded the best offensive lineman for the Auburn Tigers. True story. I know I don't look like it now, but no, no, not the University of Auburn. This, there was a company in our, our town called Auburn, and uh, Auburn LTD, it says. And so uh, this was my little league football. I was best offensive lineman. Thank you. Undefeated, by the way. It's kind of a unscored on, too. It's because of the... That's good stuff. This one, boy, this is meaningful. I mean, you can just look, and it's got kind of this, this big book and this scroll and a sun and a flame. And, man, I don't really know what this is for because the plaque's missing. But that's a, that's a good one there. This, this is a meaningful. Um, when I was in high school, there's this organization called Boys State and... Um, I went to Boy State. It's a leadership and kind of a governmental thing. And um, they picked two people from Boy State or same thing from Girl State. And they ended up going to Boys Nation. Um, but I was the governor of South Carolina Boys State and, and went to Boys Nation. That's um, kind of a cool, cool accomplishment. I got to, ended up working for a senator in D.C. So I, I keep this one. But uh, all of these are just tarnished trophies. My parents were such encouragers. They, they kept all these trophies. But when I went to look for these, the best offensive lineman is literally the only one that even still had the <laughs> plaque on it. I don't know what any of them far, are for. And, and it strikes me, that's the way some of us are spiritually. I mean, we know we've got something. Like, my, my grandma, I mean, she, went, she always went to church. Or there was a day I walked down some aisle or... Man, preacher, I pray that prayer with you a lot when you pray that prayer. Or I got wet one time. Or I, I don't know. You went to catechism or confirmation. Or you've had, I don't know. But they're, they're tarnished trophies because you've never truly trusted Christ in faith. All of those things can be good. But if you've never surrendered your life to Christ through faith, then you still stand guilty. The good news is, we don't have to do anything. Jesus did it all. But you've got to trust him by faith. That's what Jesus did for us. Real quickly, I just want to...
Paul ends this chapter by reminding us of what we can do for him. So what can you do for Jesus? Not for your salvation. That's not why we do things. But because of your salvation. What kind of should be expected of you in real general terms? Well, he begins, remember when I said, well, um, what, what, what about our boasting? If, all, if God just gives us this as a gift, what are we supposed to boast about? And this is kind of funny. It's kind of a sense of humor here, Paul, because a, a lot of his listeners are Jewish leaders. And Jewish leaders were known for their pomp and circumstance. I mean, they wanted everybody to look at them. I know you've never seen anybody spiritual like that. That was kind of cocky and kind of a holier-than-thou mentality. Hey, let me just remind you, the peacock of today is the feather duster of tomorrow. So be careful out there. But that's our human tendency. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of your works, lest any man should what? Boast. God does not want you to boast in anything but Jesus Christ. So the first thing I would tell you is walk in humility. Recognize you didn't do this. In my Bible reading plan two days ago, I was reading about Moses talking to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, and this is what he says. You're going to go into the land that God has promised to you, and you're going to have success, and it's going to be awesome. But then here's what's going to happen. You're going to say, boy, aren't we good? Look at what we did. He said, remember who put you there. That's another phrase I like. If you ever see a turtle on a fence post, what do you know? Yeah, he didn't get there himself. Somebody put him there. And when you look at what God's done through Jesus for you by grace, man, walk in humility. In theology, we talk about the five solas, those things that just are reminders of what we cling to, that, that give us the hope. We are saved by grace alone, uh, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, by, uh, we find out about that through Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Walk in humility. Secondly, walk in unity. So he asks this question, what, uh, is this just for the Jews or just for the Gentiles? And so again, he says, we're all in this together. Ground is level at the foot of the cross. Not only do you not really have anything to brag about, you're in the same boat as everybody else. So be careful about looking down your sinful nose at the sins of others. And then thirdly, he says, pursue holiness. Because anytime you hear this message of grace, what's the temptation? Whew, that's like a get-out-of-jail-free car. I mean, I, I, got a, I got a pass. I can do anything I want, right? The law's not, law doesn't mean anything. I don't have to obey the law. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not what we're saying. No, all we're saying is the law's not going to save you. But the law is always pointing you to Jesus. So pursue holiness. We're saved from sin. We're not saved to sin. Hasn't this been good news? Aren't you grateful to, to get in Scripture to the place where all these bad news verdicts about us are transformed by this reality of good news from Jesus? And guys, this is what the Christian faith is all about. That's who we are to be. 
people of the book who share this good news with everybody we come in contact with. In fact, this is so important that God gave us a way in his word to remember this on a regular basis. Jesus started it with his disciples just before his death. He says in Matthew 26, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he he gave it to them saying, drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. And so after those words from Jesus, you know what began to happen? After he died and was buried and rose again and ascended to heaven, the early church began to meet, but they remembered his words. And so several years later, after the apostle Paul was saved and became a preacher and a missionary and would go to these different churches and would see problems, he reminded the church at Corinth about this and how this would keep them on track of what our faith was all about. So in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took also the cup after supper and saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why? Why do we want to keep proclaiming the Lord's death? Because that's how we can be justified. That's how we can be made righteous. This is a big deal. So in just a moment here in this room, we're going to... We're going to take these little cups that have a wafer at the bottom, a little piece of bread, and on the top they have a little cup of juice, and we're going to use this as a reminder of what Jesus endured so that we could experience his grace, so that we could be made right, justified. We could be covered with his righteousness all because he shed his blood on our behalf. This is such good news. But before we do this, I recognize that there have to be some of you who've never, you've never truly responded in faith to the Lord Jesus. You've never begun that relationship that today is worth celebrating. So now, I want to ask you a few questions. And I don't do this regularly, but I'm going to ask you to respond to me. And I'm going to make it as easy as I can. I'm going to ask you just to respond by the shaking of your head. This means no. This means yes. Got it? Got it. All right. Three questions. Have you understood that you're a sinner? That's the first thing. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross as the punishment for your sin and that he rose from the grave to demonstrate his power over sin and death? Do you understand that, church? Here's the big question. And you saw Way and Samuel earlier in the service were asked these questions by Pastor Zach. Here's the question, the last one for you. Have you trusted Jesus 
by faith for the salvation of your sins. If you have, you answer affirmatively to all three, then what you're symbolizing is that you're a follower of Christ. And in just a moment, we're going to come together and and we're going to do what Jesus told us to do. We're going to do this in remembrance of Him. But not everybody could answer affirmatively to that. So I want to give you a chance to make that right. Not based on what you do. Based on what Jesus has done. And your faith by His grace right now. Would you bow your heads with me? If you've recognized in this moment that you've never begun that relationship with Christ. You've never trusted Him by faith. Then I believe the Holy Spirit of God is in this moment convicting you of your need for salvation. That's what He does. He chooses us before we ever choose Him. He's drawing us to Himself. And so right where you are right now, I want to give you a chance to respond to His drawing. And you can do that in your own way. It's, it's just these three things I mentioned. You acknowledge he's, that you're a sinner. You, you believe he died for your sin and he's alive today. And then you trust him by faith for everything in your life. You surrender your life to his control. But if you need some help, maybe you'd pray simple words like these. Maybe you'd just say this. Dear Jesus, just right where you are. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I constantly fall short I believe you died for my sin you became my mercy seat my propitiation you took my punishment I believe you're alive today so I'm looking to you by faith maybe you just need to tell him this I I don't understand it all but in faith I'm going to trust you with everything so I receive your forgiveness and from this moment on I'm following after you Tell him thank you. Just say thank you, Jesus. My friends, there's no magic prayer. And and sometimes I think a moment like these where people are insincere may give them a false hope. But I don't believe you're insincere. I pray you're not. If you feel like you just prayed that prayer and you began that relationship with Christ and did that in the sincerity of your heart, I'm going to celebrate with you because I really do believe you just received the greatest gift you could ever receive and it's, it's the best thing that ever could happen to you. So if that's you, if you just prayed that prayer with me in your words or in, in my words, would you just lift your hand, right? our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, wherever you are. That's awesome, man. Others of you? That's great. Welcome to God's family. All across this room, maybe some of you even watching us online, welcome to God's family. Now, before I close this time of prayer, let me just say something else. For you Christ followers, when it said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that's actually in the present tense. 
because we continue to sin, don't we? And so for us today, as we take of this bread and we take of this cup, we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So Father, today, well, what a great time we've already had in worship of you and your word. And now we join, um, we join countless Christians through the ages for a couple of thousand years. And we say thank you, Jesus, for your body broken, for your blood shed. We love you. And we do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name. as we worship together I want you to take of this wafer and take of this cup online maybe you might find something and join us and as you do this today realizing that nothing but the blood of Christ can wash away our sins nothing but what he's accomplished can make us whole again you do this today in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ Aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ? Amen. You can be seated for a, a few moments more. What a sweet time of worship. I'm, I'm so thankful that we have a good news faith. Thankful for God's word that just teaches us these truths. We'll continue our study in Romans in the coming months. We're going to take a little break through the summer. We're having a summer of love. And so uh, next Sunday we, we kick that off. You're going to love it as we just walk through how God teaches us to love in every aspect uh, of our life. Uh, one of the ways God teaches us is to love those who are vulnerable, those who maybe don't have someone speaking up on their behalf, someone who needs someone to intervene on, in their life. Often that's done through adoption. Sometimes it's done through something called foster care. So as we're kind of in between Mother's Day and, and Father's Day, we wanted to take a special day and, and to say thank you for some in our church family who are a part of uh, fostering children in, in their little corner of the world. Um, we, we recognize that this is what the half-brother of Jesus, after coming to faith in James 1.27, calls pure and undefiled religion, taking care of widows and orphans. And so we have families in our church. Some of them have children uh, of their own. And, and then they've brought in children from the foster system. Uh, that's when it's kind of a temporary care situation. You don't know how long that's going to be. Uh, you don't know all that that entails until you get into it. And, and it can be very hard. I talked about this in the last service. And a lady came up to me with pretty deep emotion just said, I can't tell you how meaningful it was just to see that somebody else knows what we're walking through. The truth is there's all kinds of needs and we want you to step up. In our county, Hillsborough County alone, it's been reported that there are children who have been taken out of their homes that are sleeping on the floors of social workers because they are not qualified foster parents to help them. And I'm not trying to be political, but I just want to be forthright. We live in a society where, where there's a segment of our society that do not hold our biblical values that are beginning to step up to the plate and to foster children. 
And yet if just a few in every church would, would do this, we could meet this need. In case you're interested in that, we've got some folks that we would want you to know. We partner with a ministry called Door of Hope that can give you all the information related to what it means to be a foster family. can also help you be involved in directly fostering a child. And uh, their representative is, is here uh, in our atrium. We'd love for you to talk to them. We also have a ministry called Florida 127 based on that verse that I just quoted from James that trains, equips, and empowers you to come alongside families who foster. So you may not be at a place in life where you can fully foster uh, someone, but maybe you can help a family who is so that they can have a night out or a day off or, or get away for a family event. So again, they're in the atrium and would love to greet you and, and say hello to you and give you information about both of these ministries. But right now, I just want to take one more moment in our service. And I wonder if there are any foster parents in this room that would stand and let me just voice a prayer for you. So if you're a foster family, would you just stand? Let us say thank you to you. You guys remain standing. I know there are others in here. I actually... The ground is level where I am, so it's hard for me to see everybody. But I, remain standing. I want to pray with you. There are others that may not be standing that are a part of something that our family walked through, which is relative placement or non-relative placement that's not adoption yet, but it's also caring. And, and you too have taken on this burden. If, if you desire to, to stand, I just want to voice a prayer. Uh, so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you um, for those who are obedient to your commands. Thank you for those that have experienced your gift of grace. And as a result, are willing to uh, be inconvenienced or challenged so that they might give back. So, Lord, I pray for these families and others like them for strength, energy, patience, and well-being. I pray for the children that they're fostering, that your best will occur in their lives. And that they'll find forever families or be returned to their families of health. And Lord, bring their families to faith in you. And Lord, I pray for a church that we would have a day, maybe where we celebrate a day like this. And dozens will stand up because they've responded to the need. Lord, I thank you for this. And we pray you bless these families in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Would you give God praise again for what he's doing? I want to encourage you to be faithful in the area of giving as we, uh, as we go into the summer. This is especially important. Actually, June, just so you know, June is one of the most expensive months on our church calendar. <laughs> and yet a lot of folks take vacation. And just throughout my life, I've learned a lot of folks when they're not here, they're, they're not continuing to be faithful. So we challenge you to even uh, coordinate your giving online, maybe or through your bank. And plan that. You can always give in a variety of ways. You could text to give right now. You could drop in our giving boxes. And your giving helps make things like VBS, children's camp, student camp, a student leadership opportunity, even the mission trip that's coming up in July. Um, another uh, group of students are going to Europe for a leadership opportunity. Uh, we have a Brazilian soccer camp. All these things you see on your seat in that card are made possible because faithful people in our church give. I'm mentioning this just this Sunday, uh, but have you noticed I woke up early this morning and realized they had named the storm a tropical storm 
down south of us. Fortunately, we're not going to have much impact of that. Uh, but it is rainy season. It's coming. And uh, a few weeks ago, we had a big rainstorm. And I, I, I saw something I'd never seen. A brand new pond right here on our campus, right in our north parking lot. And literally, on that day, no one could have parked in there because it was, it was kind of flooded. So we began to, to say, man, what do we need to do? We have not budgeted for this. Or it's not a part of our four campaign. Uh, but we found uh, a skilled uh, individual that said they would like to help us with this and really do this just for their cost. And so the bottom line is to, to grade and gravel that to make it so that that's not a flood zone so that folks like you can park effectively right out here underneath the trees. That's about a $15,000 expense that we haven't budgeted. So if God is pressing that on your heart as you hear these words, that's not something I'm asking for on a regular basis. You probably won't hear me repeat it again. And hopefully that's because you won't have to drive in a pond. <laughs> but if God's leading that on your heart, you can just give and you can designate that to parking. And I'm sure DJ in our finance office will make sure that gets to the right place. All right. You could be here. God could let you do that whole thing. Hey, thank you for being here. This has been a challenging series to walk through for me because uh, I'm like you. Remember the ground's level. I don't like talking about how sinful I am. <laughs> But I'm so thankful for God's grace. And that's why we come together. We're going to be doing that all summer. But I want to make you aware of something that's going to mean some of you need to get here earlier when you're in town. Because in July, so you've got four weeks to plan for this. In July, we're just going to gather on this campus for one service at 1045. If some of you come at the time that you've been coming, you're not going to find a seat. <laughs> Because both services will be in here. So 1045, starting in July, one service. And, and we want you to be a part of that. We're doing that uh, so that we can continue just to fellowship as a family. But recognizing that after a couple years of being cooped up, a lot of people are traveling. We want to give you some time to zero in and focus on that. We're going to have some great family events, some great community events. I look forward to being a part of some of those with you. All right.